So uh, we commit ourselves and our, our worship here, our study uh, together. Use it for your glory now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, as I've mentioned, we have four prison epistles. And uh, you know you have those four little books that go together, right? Paul's four letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Don't start at the beginning, right? Start with the second one, Philippians, Colossians, and uh, Ephesians. And then, of course, Philemon. Those make up the four prison epistles. Well, after uh, greeting the Colossians, he's thankful for them, and he expresses thanksgiving for them. And then he mentions how they've been fruitful, and he's praying for them. What's he praying for them? Is he praying for their their physical well-being? He might have, but he doesn't mention it, right? His emphasis is their spiritual well-being, that they might be fruitful, they might be strengthened uh, in patience and, and, and those kind of things, for, for their growth in knowledge, all spiritual things. Well, that brings us to where we are in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. And actually, many uh, of the scholars believe that uh, verses 15 through 20 very well may have constituted an early Christian hymn that they would sing, and Paul is kind of reflecting that, recounting that, as he is uh, stating it here and putting it into print. The emphasis is certainly on the person of Christ, and uh, it is a major high point. Uh, We note uh, the theme is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, This book is strong on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, from beginning to end here. And certainly we are in one of those high points here tonight. A little bit of background as far as what we think we're dealing with. Uh, He appreciates those uh, Colossian Christians, but there is an influence uh, from the outside that he's concerned about. At Colossae, some false teaching was infiltrating the church, which served to undermine a proper understanding of who Jesus is. And this is really a hill to die on. False teachers saw Jesus as something less than the almighty, eternal God. Paul, after his opening prayer for the Colossians, now immediately addresses this issue. Immediately he affirms the supremacy of Christ and building on that will emphasize the sufficiency of Christ as he goes on in the book. So these are two major themes in relationship to the person of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ and uh, the supremacy of Christ. Supremacy first and then sufficiency really in that order. Okay, let's have uh, somebody read uh, just verse 15. Who wants to read verse 15 for us? Yeah, Jay? Okay, very good. So he is the visible image of the invisible God. That's what Christ is. Uh, he's the image of the invisible God. Image is the idea of perfect likeness, the exact representation. That's what he is. Uh, He perfectly expressed God's nature. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. Uh, He's the exact representation of God because he is God. Uh, One of the titles for Jesus is the Word. You know where that's stated, right? John 1, 1. (laughs) That's right. And that's the beginning of the gospel belief, right? The gospel of John. He starts out uh, with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Why is Jesus given the title Word? What do we do with words? 
We express ourselves, right? Uh, Jesus is the word. He's the ultimate expression of God to us. Uh, You want to see what God looks like in human form? Look to Jesus. He's the word. He's the exact representation. He is the image of the invisible God. Note the word is there. It doesn't say he was made. How about how about you? Are you are you in the image of God? Well, think about it now. That's right. So, what's the difference between you and Jesus? <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's in that little word "is." We were made in the image of God. He is inherently the image of God because He is God. So he just is uh, the image of the invisible God. He wasn't made. He wasn't made in the image of God. He, he is. And so uh, there's a difference there in terms of his very nature and who he is as God. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh-oh, cultist alert. Cult alert here, right? They get hung up on this next phrase. Image of the invisible God. Uh, the firstborn over all creation. Well, here cultists and false teachers pick up on this and say, see, uh, he's, the, he's the beginning. That's right. He's the son of God, you know, the little son of God. And so he, he was the firstborn. God created him. And then as the son of God, he helped the father do everything else. Uh-oh, total heresy. Uh, but that's what the cultists uh, teach often. Well, uh, let's see. I think I have a slide here. The word firstborn <clears throat> can have two meanings. It can mean first in time. That's true. It, it can mean in terms of existence, firstborn, you know. We had a firstborn, right? It's our oldest, right? Firstborn. First uh, in terms of time. Uh, but it can also mean first in rank. In terms of position. Now as you look back through the scriptures. You'll find a a serious precedence for this. For example in the nation of Israel. God calls Israel his firstborn. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. Now when. And this is the challenge. You know Pharaoh's firstborn versus God's firstborn. And uh, of course Pharaoh ends up losing his firstborn. Right in the plagues. What about God's firstborn? Well, they walk right out, you know, in the Exodus. But uh, it's interesting how God there calls Israel his firstborn. Uh, was Israel the first nation coming to existence? Oh, no, 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 no. There are many, many nations already in existence when God says, Israel's my firstborn. Clearly, what he is saying is, I have chosen this nation to be first in rank, first in privilege, first in blessing. The most favored nation. Uh, that's the idea uh, first in rank. Uh, in Psalm 89, 27, David is called God's firstborn. Now, we really think in the context, uh, Psalm 89, what kind of a psalm is Psalm 89? It's a messianic psalm, strongly messianic psalm. So we believe the greater David is in view in Psalm 89. But he there calls David his firstborn the highest position. And ultimately, this is 
realize in the greater David, in the messianic David, in what is called the son of David, right? The Messiah. So the idea here is when it says the firstborn over all creation, notice it doesn't say uh, not in creation, but over all creation. The issue is rank. Even the very language here relates to rank over all creation. First in rank. Now, this is really significant in church history. Uh, for a while, the Jehovah's Witnesses were taking over the whole church age, you know, for a while. It seemed like it. I mean, it was in danger. Uh, and it was, it was kind of spearheaded by a guy named Arius in the early church. And so note what I say here. In the early church, a man by the name of Arius used this verse to teach that Jesus Christ was a created being. Cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons today, many others also teach that Jesus is not eternal God, but rather a created being or first created being. However, if Paul wanted to say first created, he would have used a different word in the Greek, which means exactly that, but he didn't. The cultists failed to see that the meaning of firstborn here is first in rank and not created first. In essence, they missed the whole point of the context. And uh, we will kind of hammer this point as we go through here. But uh, yes, you have to believe that Jesus uh, is not just a created being, but the creator God overall. Uh, by the way, there are three first chapters in the New Testament that make this emphasis. Three great first chapters that emphasize uh, the supremacy of Christ as deity. And those chapters are, we touched on one already, right? John chapter 1. Yep, it's one of the, the chapters, one of the three chapters. The other one should be pretty obvious in terms of where we're at tonight, right? Colossians chapter 1. What's the other book? Revelation would be good. We maybe want to say four here. Revelation would be good. Revelation chapter one is really good. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to give you extra credit for that one. <laughs> Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one. Strong emphasis there. Revelation two. Yeah, maybe there's something else. Uh, we'll probably find some other ones in there that have an emphasis there too. But uh, yeah, I was thinking of those three in particular. Uh, John, Colossians, and Hebrews all making the same emphasis in terms of uh, Christ's exalted position as God overall. Okay, uh, any thoughts there before we move on to our next verse? Yeah, Jay? Just Uh, I'm not sure exactly where the Mormons get that. I don't know if they tie this verse in or not. That's a good question. They do do it. How they get there exactly with Satan, um, maybe. Obviously, Satan's a created being, and, and this would say uh, he's a created being, so maybe they're making that connection. I, I'm just not sure about that specific point. It's a good question. Anybody know? Yeah? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. What's the verse in Psalm 89 that you refer to? Uh, yeah, uh, Psalm 89, 27. Yep. 
Okay, very good. Let's have somebody read verse 16 and 17. 16 and 17. Yeah, Anita? Okay. Wow, this is a really powerful statement about Jesus. Yes, and it's jam-packed here. Let's unpack it. Uh, Notice uh, there are three prepositional phrases in this verse. By him, through him, and for him. And they all have great significance. We might say verse 1 relates to uh, Christ's relationship with God as the... uh, the exact representation, the image of the invisible God. But now in verse 16, the emphasis is on his relationship to creation. And we're going to find he's, uh, his relationship with creation is he's the creator. Uh, he's the architect. He's the designer. By him, all things were created. Now, this is very significant in defeating the cultists. Because, uh, you know, if uh, he created all things, if by him all things were created, well, then he can't be a created being, right? If you created everything else, if you created all things, if that's true, if that statement stands that he created all things, well, then he himself cannot be created because you can't create yourself. So that is very significant. In fact, it's so significant that you know what those sneaky Jehovah's Witnesses, and nothing personal against Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, we love these dear people. We, we want them to be saved too. So it might seem like I'm picking on them. I'm really picking on their doctrine, okay? So nothing personal against these Jehovah's I feel sorry for them, really. I mean, I, I want them to be saved. So I'm not just mocking them. But, they're, um, but they're, what they have done with the Scriptures is horrendous. It really is. They've got what is called the New World Translation. It's not a translation. It's a total perversion. For example, here where it says, uh, by him all things were created, they add the word other. By him all other things were created. Well, if you add the word other, now what? Well, That changes the whole meaning. Uh, That means, okay, well, he may have been created. Now, he he helped create everything else, but he himself is accepted. Well, that is, again, total heresy. This gets into Revelation warning about you don't add to, you don't take away from God's revealed word. Most, most serious to do that. And they have done that. Uh, You know, we call about, uh, we call, what do you call that when you add to the scriptures? Uh, What's the word? Uh, not exegesis, but eisegesis. Eisegesis. You add, you add to it. You read into it. Exegesis is you take out of the text what is there. I, I'm an exegete. Uh, I exegete the text. I'm taking out of the text what's there and feeding you the word. They're reading into this here. They're reading into it their perverted theology which says Jesus is a created being. Well, in order for that to be, you've got to change the wording here. And that's something is absolutely forbidden. You cannot change the word. 
and the Jehovah's Witnesses have done that. In fact, they've gone through all kinds of places. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word's with God, and the Word was... They say a God. They add a little word there, which changes the whole sense of it. So, same here. Uh, there is no exception. By him, all things were created. Period. He's a creator of every, everything. And if you, if you just go by what it says there, that means he must be God. Because God is the creator of all things. Uh, by him, all things were created. And then he elaborates. That are in heaven and that are on earth. Every locale. Every dimension. Uh, all things that are in heaven. What's in heaven, by the way? <laughs> well, he didn't create God. <laughs> it's about all the things that are created here, right? Uh, so we're talking about like the stars, the planets. How many galaxies are there? Does anybody look that up? Can you Google it real quick? Do you know how many galaxies there are? Well, I don't know either. I mean, nobody knows. Uh, I mean, there, there are billions and billions of galaxies. And how many stars do every one of those galaxies have? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. yeah, there's billions of stars in the billions of galaxies. I mean, the universe is so awesomely vast, it just staggers the mind. And it goes both directions. The smaller we go, the more it staggers your mind, too, as far as the cell and uh, you know, what's involved in just one little cell, even. It, it is amazing. But he uh, is the creator. Uh, by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All creatures, large and small. The highest mountains, the smallest cell. Uh, he's behind it all. Visible and invisible. Things you can see, things you can't see. The material things, the spiritual things. Uh, matter. And dark matter. How much do you know about dark matter, by the way? <laughs> I'm about on that level, too. You know, honestly, scientists are not much above us. Uh, they say most of what exists out here in the universe is actually dark matter, but we don't know anything about it. Uh, isn't that amazing? It, it's fascinating. You just Google dark matter and see what you can learn about it. It, it really is kind of fascinating. But... All these invisible realities, he created them, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now, in different order, these words are used elsewhere in the New Testament to speak of angels. We think every one of these here is really speaking of angels and the rank of angels. There's different ranks of angels, evidently of both fallen angels and holy angels, uh, thrones, dominions, principalities or powers. Uh, we don't know really what this means because, again, it relates to the invisible realm, right? We don't say, well, you know, the, we, here's how the, everything works in the angelic hierarchy. We, we don't really know a lot about it. But uh, we do think this refers to the rank and file of angels, which in context here is very significant. Uh, Paul speaks in terms of thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. In other texts, these same descriptions are used in regard to the rank of angels. And I give you some references there. The Colossians were being taught to improperly exalt angels, as we will see in chapter 2. They were being taught to think too highly of angels and too lowly of Christ. So it is understandable that Paul makes specific mention of angelic ranks. He's making a point here. Whatever rank of angel, Christ created them all. That's his point. That's, what, that's the, uh, the flow of thought here. He created them all. 
And then just to follow up on that, all things were created through him and for him. Created here is in the perfect tense. Uh, Perfect tense, completed action, right? Completed action with continuing results. Perfect tense. All things were created through him. This is kind of significant when you get into the whole uh, evolution debate. Because what is evolution trying to figure out? It's trying to figure out how everything started. By looking at present processes, just one problem. The processes related to creation week were unique to creation week. They're not ongoing processes. He created and then he rested. He stopped. Those processes do not... You say, but we're going to go back and look at these processes and figure out how to be... No, it was a miraculous process to begin with. How did everything... God said, let there be. And there was. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a God process. Very quick one, too. Uh, so we really can't figure out things from current processes because the uh, processes related to Creation Week were completely unique. There's nothing new now being created. You know, we, we create stuff out of stuff, right? But we start with stuff. Contrast, God started ex nihilo, right? Create everything out of nothing, except for like mankind. <laughs> Took a little dirt, but then breathed into man. But uh, yeah, uh, there's nothing new now being created. All things were created, perfect tense, completed action, through him and for him. Not only through, but for him. It's for him. Uh, I don't know what stronger statement could be made than this to emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ. I mean, if he's the creator of all things and it was all created for him, what kind of a person must he be? I mean, this is a statement that only can apply to God himself. And so a very, very strong statement. Okay. Um, All right. Any other thoughts before we go on to verse 17? We already read it, but any thoughts there? Okay, verse 17. It continues. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Uh, He existed before all things, the the pre-existence of Christ. And uh, we know what this means is he's eternal. Uh, You know, there was never a time he didn't exist, so obviously when anything else comes along, he's already there. He, He is before all things. And notice it says here, he is, not he was. He is. And the reason that is significant is because it reflects the idea of being eternally timeless. He just is. It relates to this whole concept of what uh, God said to Moses when he says, my eternal name is I am. And when Jesus says, if you don't believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. What's the essence of I am? To be, or we might say, is, if we don't want to use good English, right? (laughs) It's the idea of just is. He just is. Uh, To be is the idea of I am. Uh, He's the eternally, he's the eternal I am. He just is. Is is the word. So, yeah, this is the idea here. Um, He's the eternal uh, present. He's the eternal God just is. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. 
your translation said, that's the right translation. That's a very literal translation. Consists means holds together. He is the creator of all, and he's the sustainer of all. Everything's holding together. Yeah, again, scientists don't even know. We know things are kind of being held together. I mean, if atoms weren't being held together, they would just everything would just be one large explosion, which I think is what happens in the end. God just lets it go, and everything will explode ultimately at the end when we before we have the new heavens and the new earth. But it's interesting, again, not to get on my scientist friends, but it is amazing how little they know, or any of us. Uh, this is John Morris, you know, uh, one of the guys from Institute for Creation Research, uh, Henry Morris's son, one of them. But uh, we have discovered that atoms themselves are held together by mysterious forces. These forces keep each atomic nucleus, which contains particles of like electrical charge, from flying apart. These forces can be manipulated by man, and in some cases with the release of great energy, but their ultimate nature is not understood. And they cannot be replaced by something of our own creation. The facts are quite compatible with the truth of Scripture that Christ upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews, and that by him all things consist. Yeah. Uh, everything's being kept from flying apart. Yeah, we don't really understand. We don't really understand the why. We don't understand the glue that's holding us together. Well, now we do, right? Uh, in him, all things hold together. He's holding it together. He's sustaining it. Jesus Christ is doing this. Wow. Uh, what an exalted statement we have here in terms of the greatness of Jesus Christ. I submit to you the things that are being said about Jesus Christ here can only be said about God. I mean... How could he make a stronger statement than what we have right here? All right, any other thoughts? Okay, let's uh, have somebody read verse 18. Who wants to read verse 18? Okay, Marianne. Okay, very good. So we've talked about uh, Christ's relationship to the Godhead, to God, image of the invisible God, his relationship to creation, namely being the creator, sustainer of everything, and now his relationship to the church. Uh, he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, so we really kind of move from what we might call the old creation related to Genesis 1, to now the new creation, uh, which is being created by Jesus Christ, which is the church. Uh, he's creating it. Uh, he is the head of the body. The phrase he is, we see uh, three times in this context. He is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things, and he is the head of the body. Uh, it's all about him. Uh, just think uh, what would be if Jesus Christ was not. If he isn't, what do we have? <laughs> well, you don't have God as we know God. Uh, you don't have creation as we know creation. We don't have the church as we know the church. Uh, he is the head. Uh, the idea of head is the idea of authority over. You know, your head is very important to your body, right? 
I mean, you can do without a finger. You can cut your leg off. I mean, it's not going to be real good, but you can get by. You cut your head off, it's over. <laughs> I mean, the head is in charge. It has authority over it. It directs, it controls, it leads, it guides, it governs. And that's his position in relationship to the body, which, of course, is the church, as it specifically says here. Uh, metaphorically, he's talking about the church, the universal church, which is a living organism. Uh, he, life, lives inside of us and uh, is the head of the body. The church, who is the beginning, uh, or the idea here is uh, the originator, the founder, the one who started it, who brought it into existence. He said, I will build my church. He is the one who formulates it. That's the idea here. And then he says, the firstborn from the dead. Again, he's talking in relationship to the church. If he wasn't the firstborn from the dead, there'd be no church. But in relationship to the church, he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, when we think about firstborn here, again, we note that this word can have more than one meaning. Uh, in the phrase uh, firstborn from the dead, note the word firstborn, both first in time and first in rank would fit here. Christ was the first person ever to be resurrected with a glorified body. All others before him, when they were raised to life, had to die again. But at the same time, in his resurrection, Christ was exalted as the God-man to the highest position in the universe. As God, he was always in this position, but as the God-man, emphasis on man now, he went from the position of humility in his earthly ministry to in his resurrection as the God-man being exalted as Lord over all. Uh, and so that's, that's uh, where he is now. He is the firstborn from the dead as the resurrected, glorified God-man, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. A superlative statement here. <clears throat> Note the fivefold emphasis on all things in these verses. By him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things consist, hold together. And in all things that he may have the preeminence. Uh, again, superlative statement being made here. He is over all, created all. All things are held together by him. And now we find he's the, he's the founder of the church, the firstborn uh, from the dead. The first one that was uh, resurrected in the glorified body. And all of this to the end that he may have the preeminence. Everything in the plan of God is orchestrated to the end that Christ has the supreme position in light of who he is as the supreme being. He is superior to all. He has the highest place. There is no one else in his classification or in his category. Uh, he is the preeminent one that, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You say, well, where does he, where, where, isn't he just a, a little lower somewhere? Uh, what about him and God the Father? Is he under God the Father? Well, that really needs some qualification. They do have different roles. And in the end, Christ is going to hand the eternal kingdom over to God the Father. And, and those roles will be there. But in terms of importance, in terms of nature, in terms of character, no, no, no. 
he's right there as the Holy Spirit too. I mean, you got the triune Godhead. They're, they're totally equal as members of the Godhead. But uh, the emphasis here is on Christ, which was the issue that they were having at Colossae, that he, in all things he may have the preeminence. Let me read verse 19 to finish out here. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Note that phrase, all the fullness should dwell. The Greek word translated fullness here is historically significant. The Gnostics taught that the full range of emanations from the top being God to the lowest emanation comprehensively taken together as a collective whole contained the fullness. In this consortium, the full measure of what God is was supposedly represented. But Paul counters with the fact that in Christ himself, all the fullness is represented. The idea is that the totality of divine attributes and powers resides in Christ. The Gnostics uh, taught uh, what is known as dualism. You understand what dualism is? Dualism said this, spirit is good. Material is bad. So your body is bad no matter what. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. It's bad because it's, it's material. So they taught that uh, God, you know, the highest God, form of God here, could have nothing to do with evil, which is physical stuff, dualism, holy spirit, unholy material. So they came up with this idea like, okay, we got these, these different emanations. One step removed from God the highest form of God, and then another emanation, and then another emanation, and somewhere along the line, then you get this, this low, you know, really lowly, that's really way too close, but somewhere in between where you could still be kind of holy and still have enough power to, to create, some, some emanation in there created everything, is what the Gnostics taught. And, what he is saying here is, no, this, this agnostic thought that you got all these emanations and you take the whole collection together, that's the fullness. No, he's saying, all the fullness is found in Jesus Christ himself. He is completely smashing Gnostic thought here. He's putting the whole full emphasis on Jesus Christ. Again, can't make a stronger statement here. It's totally superlative, totally supreme, totally sufficient. And uh, let's see. The fullness of deity is found in Christ as the Father's exact representation of mankind. The fullness rests in Christ. The word dwell literally means to take up residence permanently and points to the reality of the incarnation when deity came to live in a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son in his total deity came to live in a human body. Jesus did not just become a man for a little while. He was God living in a human body as a permanent reality. This is absolutely essential doctrine. It is inherently a, a part of the gospel message. And look across the page to chapter 2 and verse 9 where he says, Speaking of Christ, in him dwells all the fullness. All the fullness. Not just a little part. Not just in measure, in him dwells all the fullness, the whole package, all the fullness of the Godhead 
bodily. In the body, in the person of Christ, you've got the full manifestation of the whole God. There's nothing left out here. Again, powerful, powerful statement. Well, to wrap up here tonight, a little story here about Larry King. You know, he was on, had a talk show for many years. But uh, he recently passed away a few years ago now. Uh, But he said when he was living, I'm not a believer. But what was he, by the way? What was Larry King? He was Jewish, but he married a Mormon. But, But he never became a Mormon either. He was just kind of agnostic. But he said, uh, I'm not a believer. And this is, I think he said this to John MacArthur, who he'd often have on his, his programs. <laughs> you know, and he was kind of interested. He was always kind of interested. MacArthur would always give out the gospel. But uh, so he once said, I'm not a believer, but I have the utmost respect for Jesus Christ. I believe he was the most influential person who ever lived. You see, to Larry, Jesus was just an influential person to be highly respected. But for the true believer, Jesus is more than just an influential person to whom the utmost respect should be given. To the true believer, he is Lord God Almighty. And we worship him as the sovereign God who has preeminence over all. One day, all will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. But as believers, we do so now. And we're willing to die on that hill. As Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am, I'm the eternal God, you're going to die in your sins. There's no wiggle room here. Uh, We believe on the Lord, packed with meaning, Lord Jesus Christ. We believe on him as Lord and Savior. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, Pat? Yeah, you know, yeah, well, amen. And C.S. Lewis talked about, let's have none of this foolishness where we say we respect him as a great teacher, but, you know, we reject him as Lord, you know. So it really is a, is a, a dichotomy. It, it's a non sequitur. And yet, you know, unbelievers can be very inconsistent. And uh, so, yeah, and yeah. Good point. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, amen. Yeah, if you want to start following your own thinking versus what God says, you can end up anywhere. 